0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the All It Takes to Go podcast, the best place in the entire world, including all of Canada, to learn how to build new thoughts, new actions, and new results. I'm your host, John Acuff, and today I'm joined by Derek Kinney. Who's that? I'm, I'm so glad you asked. Derek Kinney? believes if you're not making the money you deserve and you're not making the impact on the world you've always wanted to, there's a better way for your money today. Author of the new book, Good Money Revolution, Kenny says money is not bad and that good people should have more of it. He's been interviewed on CNBC, Fox News, CNN, Fox Business, The Wall Street Journal, among others. He actually put me in his new book. I have his new book right here. Um, I'm on page 150, and this is—I'll just give you a snippet of what it says: popular speaker and author, and then in parentheses, and table tennis expert John Acuff. I, I like that. I like the ring of that. I really do. Um, I think that's nice. I need to add that to my bio. And table tennis expert—that's a—that's a good way to get on my podcast. If you mention that I'm a table tennis expert, I'm like, come on, come on. I'm just kidding. I was on Derek's podcast. Loved getting to talk with him. I always have questions about money goals. I talk about goals in this podcast. Derek has a really fascinating approach to that. So if you've got money goals, financial goals, anything like that, I think you're going to love this episode. But first, a quick message about the sponsor of today's episode. Today's sponsor is me. I've been really surprised at how many people who listen to this podcast have reached out to me about having me speak at their events. I love that. And here's why. Over the last 13 years, I've had the honor to help hundreds of companies like Nissan, Walmart, Microsoft, and Comedy Central at events around the world. And during that time, I've developed three big goals for your event. Number one, I want to slingshot your audience into the best year they've ever had. Whether I'm opening, closing, or somewhere in the middle of the event, I want to launch everyone out of that room with actionable, memorable things that they can apply to their work and lives immediately. Number two, my second goal, I want the sound team engaged and laughing. The sound team has heard it all. They have, and if I can make them laugh and learn along the way, the audience is going to absolutely love the keynote. And number three, my third goal, I want you to get text messages during the keynote. My favorite sentence to hear from you after I speak is, John, my phone was blowing up during your keynote. I'm there to make you look like a rock star, not me. If your boss, Text you during my speech and compliments you on how well the event is going, then I know I've done my job. Whether it's virtual or live, 10,000 people in an arena, or 15 sales team members on WebEx or Zoom or, or Microsoft Teams, I'd love to help you with your next event. Fill out the quick form at acuff.me speaking to check my availability. That's acuff.me A-C-U-F-F slash speaking. All right, let's jump into my interview with Derek Kenny. Derek, I I love this book. And one of the things I loved um, was that before I even got out of the introduction, I was already underlining. That's always a good sign. You don't want to mm-hmm. get like 50 pages deep before you're like, oh, I need a pen. And I was still in the introduction And here's what I underlined, and I'd love you to kind of explain the idea behind this, and I'll probably have some follow-up questions. Um, I should also say, like, hey, thanks for being here. I'm pretty abrupt, apparently. Like, I just (laughs) jump right in. Both feed into an interview. So just know that before I hit record, Derek and I had such pleasant, light talk and small chatter, if you will, and so that's why I jumped right in. Sorry to be so abrupt. (laughs) First question, this is what I underlined. You can create your own identity. I thought that was one of those really powerful small little grenades hidden into in the introduction. Explain what you mean by that. And why do you think people have such a hard time with that concept? Well, I'll get
1: real personal with you, John, right off the bat. And that was growing up as a kid, I was teased a lot about my nose. If you, mm-hmm. if you look, my nose is is much larger than the national average mm-hmm. and people let me know about that growing up. And, uh, It was hard. It was hard in junior high. It was hard in high school. And I faced a moment of inflection where I just had to realize either this is going to be all about me feeling sorry for myself or I'm going to have to create a new identity. And what I chose to do was I ran for office of all things in high school. You know, I was a nobody, but a nobody with the heart of a somebody. And I looked around and I said, man, everybody else is just like me. They just look different. And I realized all the people wanted to play a role, but nobody was a leader to bring them in. And so that's where I learned that is I actually ran for student body president. Mm -hmm. I won, but it wasn't me that won, John. All of us won that day because suddenly all of us had a voice and we felt like we mattered. And I think I might be a little bit unique in the sense I was able to work through that but I meet so many people who can't work through that. And on the outside, they've got all the trappings of success, man. They've got they've got a family. They've got a good job. They've got the good house. But inside, they're crumbling. Mm-hmm. And, and this book and the whole message of it is now is a time to reinvent yourself and go for the things that maybe when you were a kid, somebody told you you weren't worthy, you weren't smart enough, you weren't good enough. This is your time to take a big eraser on that whiteboard of your life and just erase it clean
0: and start writing some new words to yourself, man. That's what this is all about. Well, that, that spoke to me so quickly in the introduction, and I, I couldn't agree with that, that concept more. I think that it's interesting. Would you say that for your identity, because you're continuing to build it, you're continuing to write it. It's not like you stopped then. So, the process of writing a book is one of those identity moments that a lot of people desire but can't get through. So, according to the new york times, eighty one percent of Americans want to write a book. If you look at Amazon publishing stats, less than one percent do. So wow. it's a really popular goal. People don't do it. How did you kind of push through that? Because the book is coming out soon, it comes out in a couple of weeks. I, or actually no, it comes out tomorrow. By the time this this goes, tomorrow is the day. I've got a copy with me, Good Money Revolution. So how did you push through a time where maybe you thought, you know what, who am I to write a book? Because I think that's an identity statement that a lot of people make.
1: Well, uh, I'll say this. I chose to bet on myself, John. And let me take you back to a hotel room in Boston at the W Hotel in July of 2019. I go away on a yearly sabbatical every year. And the purpose of that time is to lock myself away in a room for about six days and to ask myself three questions. First of all, how can I be a better husband? How can I be a better father? And how can I be a better business leader? And the whole purpose of that time is to think and pray and journal. And my theory is, does it make sense for me to slow down one week out of the year so I can then run really, really fast toward exactly what I want the other 51 weeks out of the year? And it's worked out really, really good. And this particular sabbatical. I was asking myself a very important question, and that is, what did I want next in my life? You know, I I loved being a financial advisor, 25 years of growing this practice, helping people reach their financial goals, what was deepest in their core of what they wanted to do, and I was part of their journey, but I realized I was going through the motions, and I was asking God for wisdom on what was the next chapter of my life going to look like, and I began to write out, writing a book, launching a podcast, speaking, coaching, leading. It wasn't that I didn't love my clients or my practice, it just wasn't what I really felt was in my heart was my next big move. And I called my wife and I said, honey, are you sitting down? I feel like I'm getting a clear sign we are supposed to sell the business. She said, Derek, you've grown the business by betting on yourself. And if you feel like that's the word you're hearing, she was fully in my corner. She was the, she was the swift kick uh, in my backside to say, let's go ahead and do this thing. And so that's when I began to write the book and launch the podcast. Because keep in mind, John, this was right in the heart of COVID. This was February, March of 2020. Now mm-hmm. I've sold the business and I've got this path I've got to choose. And I thought to myself, I can either write the book and sort of lock myself in my closet and not help people in their greatest time of need, or I can launch the podcast and help be a voice of reason to help walk alongside them, just like you do so well at, of helping them figure out this part of their life. And so I began to do both simultaneously, but the goal of the book was to finish it and and, and put it in people's lives to help improve their lives. So many people write a book, but then there's no end to it. And so I wanted to make sure that this book could really help improve people's lives.
0: So how long have you done the sabbatical process?
1: Yeah, the sabbatical process, this is, uh, I think this is year number six.
0: Year number six. Mm-hmm. How, uh, same city, different cities? Like, let's unpack that a little because the podcast, it's a business podcast. It's called yeah. All It Takes a Goal. That's an amazing thing you just dropped in that's unusual, but I think really beneficial. So I want to I want to sit on that for a second. Sure. Tell me... How that came about, the structure of it. Are you doing like judo during day four? And like <laughs> on day five, you have to fight a bear. Like what's, what's the process?
1: John, you have stolen totally my, uh, my uh, uh, sabbatical thunder here. That's what um, thought. Yeah, ba- basically it, it's a time that I take a journal with me and I think about how do I make my life as meaningful as possible for this next year? Because I know that as I take my journal with me from the previous year, I'm going to go back and read what did I say I was going to do and uh, yeah. how true was I to doing what I said I was going to do. And and I don't want to get super emotional here, but you, you've hit a nerve with me because my kids are super important to me, as is my life. I mean, we only get one of these things and I want to make sure it's valuable and impactful. And I think about a year later, where, where will my kids be? Where will my relationship with my kids and my wife be? Where will, my, where will the vision that God has given me, the potential that He's jam packed inside of me, and how much of that will be extracted over the course of that year? So I mix it up. Uh, one of my favorite places is there's a beach in Palm Beach Shores, Florida, mm-hmm. that my wife and I love to vacation, and I love to sit outside. On the patio of that hotel and look out over the ocean, uh, I tend to take walks on the beach and just listen to my thoughts and just write things down in the notes on my phone. Um, but it's all about coming back with an action plan of okay, here's what's going to get the most value out of my life and into other
0: people's lives for this year. I feel like that's the next book. I mean that I mean, <laughs> I think that's you might be used to that process, yeah. but that's a unique thing. And so I think, I mean, who knows what the next book is, because it's always fun to start to think about the next book. But I could see that being the next book. What do you bring on that? Is it just a journal? Like, are we like, are you traveling like an assassin where it's like just a journal? Like anytime (laughs) I see somebody get on a plane without carry on, I assume they're coming to kill somebody in Vegas from like Europe. But like, are you bringing a bunch of books? Are you bringing a mini whiteboard? Like, give us the pack list. Yeah,
1: well, I dress like Jack Ryan. I mean, that's kind of the whole goal here. Yeah, that's what I I figured. Oh, I got to get into the mindset, John, and yeah. I've got my artillery, you know, packed yeah, back. Got a chin. flashlight,
0: some sort of crazy <laughs> flashlight. I get it. Yeah. And I watch uh, episodes of MacGyver, all the, you know, stick of gum,
1: paper clip. Yeah. <laughs> what else <laughs> do you mean, a, my friend? That's funny. You know, but basically what I bring with me is my reading list. You know, typically articles on mm-hmm. success that I have accumulated in the course of the year. It's, it's a stuffed, unkempt file that I have just jammed stuff into. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, bring my Bible, bring my journal. But what I what I mainly feed off of are what were my goals that I set in January. And John, let me go back because this might be valuable to your listeners as well. Uh, every year, uh, I hold a family goal planning meeting with my family. It's typically December 31st. Now, back in the day, we've done this for about 15 years. And my kids would throw stuff at me. It was terrible. They've threatened to lock me in a room and throw away the key. Now they actually bring their friends with them sometimes. And what we do is we just write out on a note card five goals, you know, business goal, family goal, personal goal, self-development goal. But then what I ask them to do is I ask them to write out how will I feel when I achieve this goal? And I put on some soft Baroque style music to kind of get that right side of the brain engaged because I want them, and here's what I tell them. Look, I know that you may be facing distraction right now. You may be thinking back to what somebody said, you're a failure, you're a fraud, you're not gonna be successful. I need you to put all of that into a compartment over here. We're gonna slam that door shut right now. But you are invincible there's nothing that you can't accomplish. And I want to give you the tools to put that on a note card. And then we're going to help take this year as mom and dad to help reinforce what you said was important to you. We don't want to live our dreams through you. We want to make sure we're living your dreams, man. That's the whole goal here. Mm -hmm. And so it's so powerful to have that goal for each of our kids. But then I do that for myself. My wife does that for her. So those are the big goals. They come in the form of revenue goals, how much I want my net worth to grow, Mm -hmm. the impact I want to have, how many books I want to sell, how many listeners I want in the podcast. I want to quantify all those things because Mm -hmm. I just realize, and John, I think you'll appreciate this, how good, how good is a book if nobody reads it? Mm -hmm. I mean, mean, really, how good is a podcast if nobody listens to it? There's a lot of really smart people out there, but I've learned that all of those things are simply the storm before the calm. You've got to make it happen and do the hustle every single moment to make sure that people's lives can be impacted by what you are dedicating your life to do. So that's a super long answer to a question, but I think it goes to my heart of where where I'm at on things.
0: Yeah, and that comes through the, in the book in so many ways. I, I think what I like about that is I think one of the biggest lies authors tell is if it only changes one person's life, it was worth it. No, it wasn't, dude. No, no. that's a, you shouldn't spend two years to talk to one person. Like, tell, like, write a friend an email. Then you can do that right. in like an hour. Like, yes. that's something we say because we're afraid it won't have impact, so we're trying to downsize and and minimize. I think anyone listening to this today has already said. Oh, man, I would. Lo- I love that approach to family. I love the honesty, too, that you said when they first started, they weren't excited. I think there's a real temptation for parents to go, we sing song, we sing seven hymns every night and we light a candle for people. And then we like, uh, and like, as if you have these kids that aren't like, I don't want to do stupid goals today, dad. Right. So I love that you're honest about that. I want to jump into the book. Because I think that there's a lot of emotional hangups around money. There's a lot of um, fear, call it fear of success, call it self-sabotage, call it scarcity mindset, whatever. The attitude that more money is bad and less money is good. Like jump into kind of all the the tangles that you see as somebody who guided people um, in how they grew their money for a quarter century. Like I don't want to rush past a 25-year you're not a 19-year-old going, hey, here's here's how to do NFTs. Like, this is okay. 25 years later, here's what I've learned.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'll just say it straight up. I really like money. You know, even growing up as a kid, I would have these cash books, John, and I would record. Dude, every, every... quarter. I saw like the quarter <laughs> from
0: Texas. Yeah, you, I thought I was a gold nerd. <laughs> you are on the next level.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I used to loan my parents' uh, know, money and I would have this amortization chart in the back of my closet. They would jokingly pay interest and so forth. And it was just something that was in my heart. And what I realized was I enjoyed working, not just for making money, which I loved, but there was a connection I made of when I make money, I can actually give money. And it was such a cool thing in my church. Back when I was a kid, we had this food pantry And I just felt this need to want to give money, but I realized, okay, that's such a small church. I learned how to write with my left hand so that they wouldn't know my handwriting as I put cash in this envelope and turned it in. Mm -hmm. And that was the start for me realizing that making money is good and I can do a lot of good with it. And what it led me then to do was not make money just for the sake of making money, but I began to make better decisions because I just enjoyed the multiplier that money was. It was like a game to me. When I started my business, I didn't realize that the more I helped clients with their money and the more value I added to their lives, the more money that I would make. By putting both of us in the same boat, rowing together, not just selling them a bunch of crap to meet a commission, but really listening and taking the slow approach and helping them achieve what was important to them it it was almost only fair that I would then achieve what was important to me and clients like that. But the aha moment for me, John was I always had a passion for education, I love supporting quality teachers recognizing great uh, student leaders. And I thought it would have been cool when I was in high school to have an adult or a successful business person come in and say, hey, Derek, I believe in you. I mean, nobody was doing that. High school was just this war zone. You just had to get mm-hmm. through. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Sure. And... I began to donate to those causes. I would go each month and recognize a student of the month and a teacher of the month. I'd give out like a $25 gift card, a $50 gift card. This was peanuts. But for them, it was like they won the lottery, for goodness sakes. Ah, I love that. And so this goes in the newspaper. So I began to get phone calls from people calling my office saying, hey, we love how you support education and we love education. We want you to be our financial advisor. And I was like, poof, where in the world did that come from? And I said, I got to be honest with you. There's a lot of advisors in town. Why did you pick me? And they said, well, Derek, we we know you're smart. We know you're good with money, but we want to work with people who are like-minded and we can invest with anybody, but how cool is it to invest with someone that we know gives a part of the money they make? to support the causes we care about too. Mm. And John, that is what exploded my practice. Mm. Now, some doors opened again on television and began to explain money in an easy-to-understand way, and those doors were really beneficial to me. But I always kept what I called my generosity purpose, and that was, when you work with us, you're part of something bigger. And we never lost sight of the goal is we want you to make a lot of money because you you got to take care of your family and your goals. Mm-hmm. But how good does it feel when your head hits the pillow at night knowing that you made money and you were a good steward, but also you helped make other people's lives a whole lot better because you worked with us and because you made that decision. That was where yeah. the power really came from.
0: I I love that. when When somebody sits down with you and says, okay, I want to figure out my money and you need to help them unpack their goal. Because I think a lot of people have a really hard time even expressing desire, which is why, you know, I joked about authors who say, if if only one person's helped, that's because they don't know that it's okay to express the desire of, I want to sell a hundred thousand copies of this book. I want this book to get into a hundred thousand hands, hundred thousand homes, whatever. How do you help somebody start to understand what their dream is, what their goal with their money is, what their hope is, and unpack that?
1: Well, let me tell you how I used to do it. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what caused me to write this book. And that's what I used to do was the traditional people would come in the office and they'd say, look, I want to retire. I would just ask a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. You know, what would it be like for you to retire? What are some things you want to do and begin to create almost just this blank canvas together that we would paint? on how would it feel to be with your grandkids and to be with the people you love and to be enjoying the money you work so hard for. And we would create those images around that and how would that feel. But then as I got deeper into my practice, I realized that is important. But ultimately there is a sense of loneliness and a sense of a lack of fulfillment because now they've got the money and they've got all the trappings of success. Mm -hmm. But now what they really want is impact. They they want to merge their money with meaning and they want to connect a cause to their cash. And what I began to then do was reverse that and say, you know, I want to help you achieve all the goals that are important to you, but I, I want to ask you a question. What if we could help you make more money and you could make an impact in the causes that you care deeply about? And I began to take them through an exercise of thinking back when you were a kid, maybe there was a friend whose mom or dad lost their job, or there was a wrong that you saw in your community that you thought, that's just not right. Or you saw an injustice that you wanted to play a part in, but you said, what can I do? I have no money, no impact. But I said, now that you're an adult and I want to give you the tools to do that, would that be something that you would have an interest in? And some of the people John immediately latched onto and other people had to take some time to process because they'd been told all their lives that they couldn't have an impact. These were people, again, who looked successful. They were the successful moms. They were the successful dads, the successful business owners, but they had a voice in their head that was holding them back saying, you can't make an impact. You don't have the money. You don't have the time or the ability. And part of my job was to help almost go from accounts from an advisor to a counselor, you know, rabbi, priest, all, all of the above yeah. names, to help relearn how they could have impact in their lives. And so that's where that all came from.
0: Now, for you, we talked about soundtracks. You referenced soundtracks, my my last book in your book. What would you say are healthy soundtracks around money? So. And, you know, I use soundtrack as a repetitive phrase. Um, some people might say mantra or motto or affirmation or what for you, either in your own life or one that you've seen help people kind of make that switch or go, oh, I get it.
1: Well, and let me pause for a moment there, John. I, uh, I only, dang, I don't want to get emotional here. I only put people in the book who made an impact on me. Okay. And so I put you in the book because you impacted me personally, and I know that our readers are going to be impacted by your words.
0: And I so, that. Just so
1: you know, I, I, don't, I don't take that lightly, who, who owns pages in, in my book. And so the soundtracks to me, that was so personal because growing up, I was told I wasn't smart enough. I was told I wasn't good enough. I mean, with the asthma I had as a kid, I couldn't even go out to recess. I had to stay inside and do extra homework for goodness sakes. I was teased that mercilessly is the opposite
0: of recess, by yes, the way. Yes, it's extra terrible. homework is the <laughs> you're in there with a big nose, just mad. Like, dude, yes, that's yes. tough, dude. That is yeah. tough. It was terrible. And so and because
1: of all those things. I just wanted to be a voice to people and say, not not just if I can do it, you can do it, because it sounds so pithy. But I want to tell people, look, wherever you are at right now, this is where this message can help you. Because I want to help you make more money. I mean, money is not the end-all be-all, but it's one of the most powerful levers for good that all of us have. One one person told me one time, Derek, if you want to help the poor, the best way is to not become one of them. Now, he wasn't denigrating the poor. He was simply saying, don't take a vow of poverty and feel like that's the way you're going to make the most impact. I want to empower people to go make a lot of money and do it by adding a lot of value to people and then think about adding a whole lot of impact to the causes that you care deeply about. That's the whole goal of this revolution mm. is how do we think differently about money? Because I, I believe COVID is this reset button for so many people. You know, people yes. are asking themselves, is there more to life? Is, is there more to what I'm working so hard to do? And I believe there is. And I, and I want this book to be a resource and a just a, a voice in their head, a new soundtrack to, to completely steal your wording, John, to tell them you are worthy, you are good enough, you are smart enough, and now is the time to bet on yourself. And I'm willing to bet on you. And that's why I wrote this book was as a bet on your potential and to help extract all of it as possible.
0: I, I love your approach to money. I love your heart for creating value Um, I think that comes through in everything. I I knew this was going to be a fun interview um, because of our previous interactions. I was on your podcast. We've connected on email a bunch. I've got a copy of the book right here on my desk. I'm curious for you on a daily level. So we talked annual. So it's clear that you're an annual goal guy. I'm assuming it does the sabbatical change during the year. Is it always in July or does it move? Does it is it flexible?
1: So, it it always is in July because that's when we do our family vacation. And based on how I've run my practice, I've just learned I'm I'm a big believer in following the consumer, whether it comes to investing or just their habits, and even my own clients. What I found was that July was typically the hardest month to have people come in the office. My team enjoyed time away. So, I just basically began to take off the month of July. So, I would take a week with my family. I would take a week by myself, you know, a couple of weeks at home. And so July was basically the time when I'm actually planning, I'm going to be going back to Florida again this year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but that sabbatical time was so important because life gets going so fast. I just feel like people underestimate that they are their best investment. Mm-hmm. And if they're not investing in themselves, how good of an investment? or an encourager, or a mom, or a dad, or a business leader, can they be to other people, if they're not extracting the potential inside of them, I just think that their their tools are going to get rusty. They're not going to be as sharp as they could be to help extract the potential
0: from all of those people
1: around them. I mean, ultimately, that's what this is about.
0: I think that's so true. I've made a goal um, this year to invest a certain amount of money to put mm. some money behind it to say okay working with a trainer is money I'm investing back into my best investment because yes. there's other there are things like Bitcoin you can you can argue any investment's great there's no investment that returns as high as dividends on investing in yourself and what that does for your family so on the that's the grand scheme of things give us a daily idea Derek wakes up this is my plan for you know every Monday I plan out my goals for the week or every day I review the, like what's your routine? Like, how are you doing goal planning on a more daily level?
1: Yeah. Well, big fan on the Peloton bike. And so yeah. my wife and I share a Peloton. I hop on the
0: bike. Do you have two or one you share a Peloton? We have one. We okay. Have one. one Peloton, one Peloton family. Gotcha. One. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, that, that's been a game changer for us there. And, uh, um, you know, so I hop on the bike, get off the bike and, uh, What time are you getting up in the morning roughly? Uh, typically about six thirty. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is good for me. Go to bed about 11 or so. Yeah. You know, the challenge, we still have one, one kid at home. And oftentimes my bedtime is typically when he wants to talk.
0: Yeah. And so yeah.
1: that that's part of the deal, you know, and so I'd rather be tired and productive than at least having listened to my son and had that engagement with him. So, what i what I do is the day before begin to write out here are my core goals right now. now, keep in mind, I'm in a season right now, John, of this book is very, very important to me because I feel like I'm launching a movement, mm-hmm. and so I you know, having sold my business a year and a half ago to write this book and launch this podcast, and I mentioned this in the book that this whole example of kind of burning your ships where The time comes, you've got to back yourself in a corner sometime and say, look, if I'm serious about this, then I've got to bet myself on this goal and this dream. And so that's where I'm at. So I want your audience to know that this is not a guy with just a cushy job over here that's writing a book. I I actually have put my chips on the table because I'm in the trenches. I'm in the trenches. I believe in what's going on here. And so uh, I've set a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal of 10,000 pre-orders mm-hmm. of this book. Now, I've been told by many people, that's crazy. Derek, are you sober? I've been asked a <laughs> lot of different questions. <laughs> but but I believe we've got to get to critical mass. and We're making really good progress. But I, but I want this book in people's hands because I feel like it can change their lives. And I wanted it more than one person's hands because it wouldn't be worth it just for one person. It needs to be out there for hundreds of thousands of people to really feel the impact. So that's what my day is around right now is reaching out to relationships, to to being strategic about how do I get this book in people's hands? How do we get the message out on a more constructive basis? Um, but also being very strategic with my time. I, I I tend to be someone who, as my debate coach told me in college, busy people get more done. And so I schedule almost every part of my day. So on the hour, I've got an expectation of my time that I need to have accomplished something every single hour, whether it's- Every a,
0: every work hour or every awake hour? Every work hour? Every, every work hour. Work hour, gotcha. I thought for a second you were gonna be like, at 7 p.m., my wife and I need to be having a meaningful conversation that includes our dreams and our goals, right. and I give her a foot rub, and if that hasn't occurred, I have failed that hour. Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure.
1: Now, I'm going to say, uh, honey, if you're listening to this, that was John's voice. That wasn't yeah. mine. And that was- <laughs> yeah.
0: He has a lot of expectations from right. 7 right. to 7.30 p.m. Now, I gonna- will tell you this, though, that this is one of the
1: biggest mistakes I've ever made as a parent, and that was... The worst, Derek, comes out from 10 to 11, John. The worst. Okay. Uh, I will say the most random disciplinary things.
0: Yeah.
1: I will take away the craziest things from my kids. And finally, my wife said, Derek, you just got to stop. And yeah. so what I realized is I don't say anything at all except words of affirmation yeah. from 10 to 11 at night. That's because I would take away phones, cars. Oh yeah, for
0: no reason. I'm sure it was like it was like, hey, you didn't pick your shoes up. You didn't pick your shoes up. I I need your hair. You can't have hair anymore. (laughs) So good. Just terrible.
1: Terrible. So 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 sometimes it's for me to be more productive, it's 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 not always about a start doing list, but it's become a stop doing list that has been really, really powerful me, especially this past year.
0: Well, I, I love it. I only have three more questions. I feel like we could talk about this stuff for hours because we have so much overlap. Yeah. I think people are going to love your book. Three last questions. One, why do you think people have a hard time tapping into their full potential? So full potential is a phrase, especially when you talk about goals. Why do you think people have a hard time tapping into their full potential?
1: Well, my, my belief on that is that life gets so busy. You know, we we tend to find ourselves in this rat race that it's really hard to pull back and recognize our own control in our own lives. Mm-hmm. You know, even I struggle with this, with the sense that you wake up and suddenly you've got stuff to do. There's demands on your time, There, there's interviews, there's phone calls, there's things I've got to get done. All of that can take away the autonomy that you feel in your life. And suddenly you feel like you're you're, you're working for someone else in your own life. And I'll, I'll give you an example. This is kind of a crazy example, John, but I think it goes back to how many people may be feeling about their lives. I was in the office on a Saturday catching up on some things and I saw my voicemail eye blinking. And it's always that decision, do I check it, do I not? But it's on yeah. a Saturday and I thought... I better check it. And there was a frantic woman's voice on the other end of that line. And she said, Derek, if you get this message, call me back. I bounced a check and I'm going to go to jail. I was like, what in the world are you talking about? So I quickly called her back. I could tell that call needed to be returned right away or she would be in panic mode on Monday. What happened? She said, Derek, I bounced a check. And I said, "Okay, here's what we're going to do. We'll call the bank together on Monday. We can move the money from checking to savings. We can cover that. But you said you're going to go to jail. And she was frantic. Where did that come from? She said, Derek, let me tell you a quick story. When I was a kid growing up, my dad bought school supplies for myself and my brothers. And I vividly remember the the store owner calling my dad saying, you bounced a check and I'm going to make sure that you go to jail. Well, just that message.
0: Years and years and years
1: ago. Not just years and years. This was over 50 years ago. This woman heard that you bounce a check, you go to jail. She was getting herself fitted for prison uniforms in her mind. This was so crazy. And I said, okay, first of all, that's not going to happen here. I'm going to help you. I'm sorry that that happened to you. We're going to have to have a separate discussion about how to address that. But this was a successful businesswoman who had all made sense because in the past, she was so hesitant to take risk. She was yeah. so worried about what could happen in certain situations. I could never figure out why until that moment because she hearkened back as a kid because somebody told her dad something that they should have never told another human being because it and was And she so couldn't degrading. hold it
0: at, at that age. Like, he could have kept it to himself too. Like, that was even harder. Like, an eight-year-old isn't designed to carry, my dad might get arrested. Like, right. they don't, oh my God. So you feel like a lot of that is what we're believing that might not be true anymore prevents us from living up to our full potential.
1: That's right. And, and even thinking back to, you know, ask yourself this question, how many people grew up around a kitchen table where they saw mom or dad or grandma or grandpa bang their fist on the table and say, if only we had more money, then we could have the things we want in life. Or, you know, son, don't have that big of a dream because money is only for that group of people over there and we're over here.
0: Must be nice. Must be nice to be those people. Must be nice. And people yeah. grow up thinking
1: that's the haves and we're the have-nots. And that is just plain wrong. And so I think about the busyness of life coupled with that type mm. of exposure they had that they're not worthy to have money. That's terrible. It is yeah. something
0: that's just not right. That's a That's a terrible one-two punch. Second to last question, what would be on your Mount Rushmore of books? Like if you had to say, these are the four books that because clearly you read books. I mean, like, it's that comes through um, in the conversation, it comes through in your writing. So, what would be your like Mount Rushmore of books?
1: Well, one of my favorite books is a book by a gentleman named T. Harvecker uh, called The Millionaire Mind. Okay. And that book uh, basically contrasts very in simple terms why money is good and how to make it. Mm -hmm. And just how to think like a millionaire. But then one of my all-time favorite books, I would couple with that, would be The Richest Man in Babylon Mm -hmm. uh, by George Clayson. And it's a book that reaches Mount Rushmore every year because I read it every single year. Mm -hmm. It's that valuable of a book to me. Um, Obviously, you know, you think about James Allen's book, uh, As a Man Thinketh. Yep um it is very valuable to me but also the bible i just love sure. proverbs uh the whole concept of wisdom yep. and, and how available it is how yep. available it is <laughs> how how easy it is and, and you know one of my favorite verses that i that i think about you know the prudent man sees sees danger and takes refuge mm-hmm. and it's that verse i've used with clients so often that it doesn't say the prudent man panics and runs around crazy with his hair on fire. Mm -hmm. It says the prudent man oversees the situation of their life, and they observe danger, and then they appropriately respond to it. And that's Mm -hmm. where I think people can handle their money so much better, is say, look, we all have problems, and we all have things coming at us, but how can I choose very calmly and coolly to observe the situation Mm -hmm. and make the best money move for me right now? And that's how I think people can work their way out of wherever they have found themselves kind of jammed into a corner of their lives.
0: I've asked that question. I usually ask that question at the end of an interview. And those are four answers I haven't received before. So Mm. I love that. I'll add to the list. Last question is an easy one. Where can people find out more about you? Where, you know, book comes out tomorrow. That's super exciting. Where can they find out more uh, about the book? About your website? Give us give us the links.
1: Yeah. So the best way we have a very active presence on Instagram, uh, which is Derek T. Kenny, and I like to put a lot of bonus content out there. And by the way, if you're not following John A. Cuff. <laughs> I, I, read they, I mean, day. I
0: hope on my own podcast. Gosh. Yeah. These guys. Yeah. You, you got good stuff there, John. Very
1: inspiring. But for me, Instagram is a big one for people to really. And, and engage with us and for me to talk about money in easy to understand ways. We also put a lot of the, uh, TV interview clips on there that I may do on money and so forth. Uh, Good Money Framework is the website. Mm-hmm. Um, but That's also dot com, right? Uh, dot com. Oh, and gotcha. then Good Money Revolution Book uh, is really the home for the book. It's on Amazon and everywhere else right now, Audible, Kindle mm-hmm. and so forth. But uh, we put together a couple free bonus videos that I think accompany the book really, really well. That we're happy to make available to your to your fans as well. So
0: awesome! And then the name of your podcast is the Good Money
1: Podcast.
0: There you go. There, I think we hit it all. That's awesome. Well, Derek, this has been a blast. Um, next time you're in Nashville, let me know. I feel like we could talk about goals and life ambitions and helping people and and that's why it was fun to have you on the podcast because I knew. That's what the conversation would be like. I think a ton of people are going to be helped from the, from the book. I think it's the first book. I, don't, I know, like, don't take it as a joke that I'm saying the sabbatical would be the second book. I think that we tend to be used to the things we do and not mm-hmm. understand that they're special. And that, to me, as soon as I hear it, I was like, oh, okay. Like, that's special. So maybe it's a chapter in the next book. Maybe not the whole book. But I think, like, sit on that. Give that gift to the world when you're ready for that one.
1: I will, my friend. I will. Uh, I'm going to make a note of that, John. This has been such a delight. I've really enjoyed every minute of our time together today.
0: Yeah, it's been a blast. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining me, Derek. And we'll link to everything. Um, have a great rest of your day, dude. Thanks so much, John. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Derek Kenny today. We'll put all the links in the show notes as always. And thank you for reviewing my podcast. When your podcast is in its first year, we just finished our first year, and you're trying to get reviews, reviews are so helpful. They're one of the things people look at when they decide, hmm, I'm going to listen to this podcast. So I want to give this this thing 30 minutes. They look at reviews, and so your reviews are super helpful. Please make sure you subscribe or follow or whatever it is the kids are saying these days. And please write a review. And also, please forget that my voice just didn't crack in that last, that last line. It totally did. I'm pretty sure I was like, please write a review. Like Bobby Brady action. Awesome. Good way to finish this paragraph. And remember, all it takes is a goal. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the All It Takes is a Goal podcast and to get access to today's show notes and exclusive content from John Akef visit acuff.me slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the All It Takes is a Goal podcast.